At this time, I want to have a word of prayer before we begin our uh, look at our study this morning. So I invite you to bow your heads with me and uh, let's seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this holy Sabbath day. We thank you for uh, creating this day, a day of rest for us, a rest from the the tasks of life, uh, the physical rest, and a spiritual rest from the battles that we have. Uh, We look at this day, it's a day that we can spend time with you, specifically with you, and with heavenly angels, that we may gain a taste of heaven that will encourage us in the coming days ahead until we can meet next Sabbath. Father, we thank you for the Sabbath day. We thank you for Jesus who uh, gave up all so that we might have all. He lived a righteous life as our example. I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to help us to, to study the life of Jesus, to, to understand um, more and more what He has really done for us. We thank You that Jesus took our sins upon Himself, that we may have eternal life. And we claim His blood that was shed there for us, so we ask forgiveness for our sins as individuals, as a, a people, as your church. Please forgive us, Lord, and help us to be overcomers and to be a light to those around us. We pray for those on our prayer list. We especially lift up before you the, the family of Marcia Jones. We think of Clint. They used to worship with us a few times in Michigan. We pray that you be very near to them, comfort them. And Dusty Rose lost her husband, uh, Wayne. We pray, Lord, that you be very near to her heart and the family as they grieve. We think of those on our prayer list as well, those who uh, may be coming discouraged. We think of our good sister, Jerry, and pray that you be very near to her. Help us to, to aid her in any way we can to encourage her. Uh, to stay on the true path. Those who are seeking answers, Lord, and have requested Bible studies, we thank Candace down in Texas. We pray that you be very near to her as uh, she goes through the Bible studies that were just recently sent to her. And Father, I pray that you give me the words this morning, that they may be your words, the words of truth, and that souls and hearts will be receptive to it. I thank you, Lord, again, so much for Jesus and for hearing this prayer. And Lord, one other thing before I close. Please be with my friend Jean and Tammy and their family. There's so much drama caused there from Satan. I pray that you send angels to protect them and to remove the forces of evil. uh, That uh, they may become one in unity again and be an example for you. Thank you, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name for these things. Amen. gone into the third phase in essence of our study. We began looking at who and what the church is, and uh, we went from the uh, defining God's church, then we went on to organization, our gospel order is called, and now we're, we're into the, uh, the mission of the church, which I've kind of called on the march. And God's church is to be on the march, and our promise given uh, to us is that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so we're going to look at uh, some of these things, I have, oh, maybe nine or ten uh, uh, studies, messages about this, and we can wrap it up and we'll get into more of, of prophecy, which is a part of the mission of the church, what the church is to uh, to give to the world, specifically Revelation chapter 14, those three angels' messages. But uh, we're in this phase of the study, um, this whole course, you could just about call it, this is my body, um, having to do with who and what the church is. Uh, I've entitled this particular message, Enlistment. You know, when I was very young, my brother, my younger brother and I used to go into the woods near our home. We spent a lot of time in the woods uh, exploring and playing and such. And we would play, at times we would play what we called army. 
Now, we would pretend that, that we were the good guys, and that was the U.S. Army, of course, and we would build makeshift forts, you know, and, and we would defend those forts from, you know, uh, imaginary enemies and such. And it was about this time that I saw a picture, I remember I saw a picture of my dad, and he was wearing an army uniform, and I was astonished. Because, you know, up until that point, I had never known that my dad had served in, in the army. But he became my instant hero, <laughs> you know, when I saw that picture. And so I began to ask my dad all about his, his uh, army experience. I think I'm... I began to ask him about his army experience. Uh, I probably pestered him, I imagine, uh, really. And he, he really wouldn't talk about it much. Um, he did quit school to enlist, I found out. And when I asked him why he did that, he would just say that at the time he thought he was smarter than the teachers. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how you take that. I mean, he was a straight-A student. So it made some kind of some kind of sense, I guess, to a ten-year-old, uh, you know. Uh, but in later years, uh, my dad would share more tidbits with me, and and I began to get a better picture of the military structure and the organization that he chose to join. And one of the things that's that's been unique about this country, especially. Um, is that unless there's a draft, the military in the United States is an all-volunteer organization. And so, you see, you, you have to, to make a decision to enlist. And before you are put in the field, you are educated and you're trained for service. And I know that even though Dad had quit school to enlist, he... He was, uh, it was in his senior year. <laughs> he did receive his GED while in the Army. And then he, he was trained for his proper role as a member, enlisted member in that Army. And the last time we were together, we agreed, all of us, we agreed that there is a spiritual war going on between Christ and Satan. And we agreed that the Lord has an army. And I shared with you what it means for me to be a soldier for Christ. And I asked you if, if you would enlist in the Lord's army. And this is something that takes, it takes a lot of consideration. You know, the Lord doesn't require a blind faith. He doesn't want you to enlist in His army without due consideration of the ramifications of that decision. And I like that about our God. I like it when I read, for example, in Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. I like that. I mean, I think it's hardly possible to conceive of a more appealing exhibition of the wonderful love and goodness of God than can be found in this gracious invitation to reason with the Lord. The Lord God of heaven and earth, friends. And he means it. He means, let's reason together. Tells me that God is reasonable. And I know that he desires men to realize that it is in their advantage to forsake sin and to walk in the ways of righteousness. That's what Isaiah chapter 1 essentially is speaking to. But God tells us, he invites us to reason with him. He doesn't want us to enlist without taking serious consideration of what that means. And man's reasoning powers were given him to use. Isn't that true? We have a brain. Let's use it, right? And I think the best way to use it is, is for us to discover the benefits of obedience to God and the woes of breaking God's law. But though he, and I believe this wholeheartedly, friends, though he, God desperately wants you to uh, be on his side, 
in this warfare. The choice to join, join his army is left up to you. And it's my hope that as we begin looking at what it means to be in the Lord's army, that it will appeal to you and you will make the decision to fight on the side of right. A God, we're told in the Bible, is not the author of confusion. And He has a plan for each of us and His army in this conflict so that we can have confidence. We can have confidence in His command and confidence that we will have victory. In fact, we're told that we will have victory. I want you to know as well that Satan has a plan of his own. And we too often allow him to to conquer us by staying in our little independent atoms scattered all over the world. So, you've heard me say it many times before, gospel order, true gospel order and organization is essential for us. As it is essential for any army. Too often we're being reactive to what happens instead of being proactive. Isn't that right? I'm talking about in a spiritual sense. The majority of times we are on the defense. But God wants His army to be on the offense where the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, as Jesus said in Matthew 16. She didn't notice this statement from the book of Angelism, page 18. Satan's armies are many. Let's stop right there for a moment. When we discovered in our study of who and what the church is, we realize, I hope we do, that there are only two churches. Isn't that correct? But those churches may have different organizations or divisions within itself. Isn't that true? Isn't that what we understand now? And so she says here, Satan's armies are many. That's indicative of what what we found. Isn't that right? And so she says, Satan's armies are many and God's people must spread over all the world, planting the standard of truth in the dark places of the earth and doing their utmost to destroy Satan's kingdom. We need to be on the offense, you see. God's army is to be on the offense. That's why Jesus makes that statement in Matthew 16. His army is on the march. It's on the offense. And Satan throws up these obstacles and roadblocks. And he says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's putting gates up, see? And God's army's blasting through them. And the reason we're so defensive, I believe and I'm convinced of this, is because we are too unorganized to be on the offense. Now there are some other reasons, of course, that play into that. I mean, we're unorganized at least to the degree that is needed to succeed. And if we're to plant the standard of truth, as she says, in the dark places of the earth... We must first get organized and then we must become educated and trained. And that, as I said, is the subject for today in the message I've entitled Enlistment. We have previously learned in our studies on organization that Jesus began his ministry by organizing a group of diverse individuals. I mean, if you look at the disciples, you know that these men came from different areas and backgrounds. All of them had different experiences. I mean, much like you'll find in the U.S. Army today, if you were to look. They, they are made up of men and women that come from different areas and backgrounds. They have different experiences, different ages. That's what we see when we see the disciples... And then Jesus, he spent the next three and a half years up to his death, well, even beyond as far as that goes, but but the next three and a half years training these diverse individuals for service in his army. And I find it interesting to note 
that there was even a zealot among these men. And I'm sure that uh, several of the disciples thought as he did that to join the Lord's army meant that they would physically clash as an army against the Romans. That's what the zealots were all about. In fact, most of Israel uh, believed that the Messiah would lead them to conquer their foes by driving them out of the promised land where he would then sit upon the throne of David and rule the earth. Is that what the Bible says is going to happen? Well, of course not. But I'll tell you, friends, there are still many today who believe that this is what must happen after the supposed secret rapture. Only it isn't Roman occupation, but the Antichrist that will be driven out. And then the Messiah comes, he sits on the throne of David and rules the earth. But Jesus said something very interesting about that that we need to understand as a people. And too many Christians don't understand this. Jesus said in John 18 and verse 36, He said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. You see, the army of the Lord is not like the army of an earthly nation, as his kingdom is not from hence. (laughs) So the men that Jesus began with had to be trained for service in an army that was not like any army on earth. I hope you understand that. From the book Acts of the Apostles, page 18, for three years and a half the disciples were under the instruction of the greatest teacher the world has ever known. By personal contact and association, Christ trained them for His service. You know, there was a lot of unschooling that needed to be done with the disciples. And this took a long time to do. For you see, they were holding to just as many of the traditions of men as were the leaders in Israel. I mean, Jesus battled against these traditions constantly. Not only with the leaders, but also with many who followed Him. Because these traditions had taken over and actually supplanted many of the truths that were in Scripture. And it's tough. It's a tough battle to be rid of the traditions that we hold dear to our heart. That are contrary to God's will and Jesus was very patient and yet he was tactful on how he dealt with it and we must learn this kind of patience and tact from him in dealing with the the current unbiblical traditions that we find in God's church but daily he was training these men to be his battle axe as the scripture says in war against the powers of darkness not only were Uh, their theological traditions being replaced with the truth, but also they were gaining a hands-on training every day as well. So it's not just uh, a book learning, so to speak, but there's hands-on that goes with it. When I went to Purdue University, I would have lectures, but then I'd also have lab work. And uh, my opinion of it today is that there's not enough lab work done, there's too much lecturing (laughs) But, it's bo- but both are important. And so this is the model for what his organization is to do and we must unlearn the world's ways. We talked about that a little bit in Sabbath school, didn't we? We need to unlearn the world's ways and learn the ways of God's kingdom. When we homeschooled our kids, they would have schoolwork part of the day and then they would have hands-on work, chores, projects, etc., the other parts of the day. And this is God's model, you see. So, Jesus, He had these disciples that He called. He needed. He was educating them, and they needed some hands-on experience too, so sometimes He would send them out on their own to do the work that He was educating them to do. And that gave them an invaluable hands-on experience. 
putting what they were learning from Jesus into practice. In Matthew chapter 10, and verse 1, this was one of those times, and when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. You drop down to verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth, he sent them out and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. It wasn't time for that, you see. You know what would have happened if he sent them to the Gentiles and Samaritans? You know how Israel looked upon the Gentiles and Samaritans? They were unclean. They were, in the Samaritans' case, they were worse than, than dogs. The, the Jews treated dogs better than they did the Samaritans. It would have really handicapped the evangelism that, that Jesus wanted to do in Israel. So he tells them, don't go the way of the Gentiles or into any city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach. Give the message, he says, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, he said. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. I'm telling you, that part right there is missing in the church today to a great degree. And so we see here, though, here's the example of Jesus. He sent out the twelve to get a hands-on experience here from the things that he was teaching. And he gave them power to do it. And about a year later, Jesus did the same with the seventy. We go to Luke chapter 10. In verse 1, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lamb among wolves. Now, what do you think a lamb's reaction would be if you loosed a lamb in a pen full of wolves? <laughs> right? But Jesus is saying, I'm sending you forth as lamb among wolves. You need to be prepared. I'm on your side. Don't fear the wolves. Isn't that what he's saying here? I'm sending you forth as lamb among wolves. Don't fear the wolves. but know that they're there. If you drop down to verse 9, he says, like he did in Matthew 10 with the 12, he said, And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Now, I find it very interesting, just kind of on a side note, really, the things, different things when I, I read and I study that pop out to me. You know, there's an interesting comparison between these two groups and what we find in the Old Testament. Did you know that? For example, like the number 12 comes up an awful lot, doesn't it? There are 12 patriarchs, and there were also 12 disciples. Moses appointed 70 men to assist him in judging Israel, and here we see that Jesus appointed 70 men to assist him. Did you know that according to Jewish tradition, based on the list of the descendants of Noah and that you read about in Genesis 10, that there were 70 nations in the world? Did you know that the Sanhedrin was made up of 70 members? I mean, the number 70 played an important role in the Jewish, uh, well, Jewish thought throughout its history. But to what extent this may have influenced Jesus in appointment of the 70 or whether there really is significance in the fact that uh, they were 70 in number, I, there's something that in, inspiration really hasn't revealed. And let's not speculate about it. But I found it rather interesting. I, I, it just catches my eye when I read these different numbers over and over. God's trying to tell us something, isn't he? 
So we see in the examples here of the 12 and the 70, not only a training of principles and truths, uh, but also putting those principles and truths into practice. What I want to point out to you, as this all came after each were enlisted into the Lord's service, and that is a choice that each person must make. It's a choice, friends. And let me tell you something. Jesus said it himself in Matthew twenty-two fourteen. He said, For many are called, but few are chosen. And as I shared before, Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty three, He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. So we gotta realize, and, and I think we hopefully we have realized in our study of who and what the church is that there's only two churches, there's only two sides in this um, this conflict. We've only got two choices to choose from, friends. We either enlist in the Lord's army or we are in the devil's army. In either choice, and I hope you realize this too, either choice you make, you're going to be trained for service. You're either going to be in service for the Lord or you're going to be in service for the devil. You may not realize you're being trained for the service of the devil, but you will be. From Acts of the Apostles, page 32. talk about this training for service. During his ministry, Jesus had kept constantly before the disciples the fact that they were to be one with him in his work for the recovery of the world from the slavery of sin. When he sent forth the twelve and afterward the seventy to proclaim the kingdom of God, notice this, he was teaching them their duty to impart to others what he had made known to them. In all his work, He was training them, she says, for individual labor to be extended as their numbers increased and eventually to reach to the uttermost parts of the earth. The last lesson he gave his followers was that they held in trust for the world the glad tidings of salvation. So, as you walk with the Lord, if you've chosen to be in His army, and you walk with the Lord, you're being trained for your role, your service. I mean, is that a stretch? Because I ask you, if Jesus thought it was necessary to train the twelve and the seventy for His service, don't you think He wants to train us as well? We've got this mindset, this attitude that only certain people are called to ministry and they're to do everything. I just show up for church and give my money. Well, I'll tell you, that's the world's way of doing, quote, church. That's not what you'll find in the Bible. Jesus said right there, we read it there in Matthew 10 verse 8, freely you have received, freely give. Each of us, we make a choice to enlist in the Lord's army. We have a role to play, friends. Notice this, Testimonies for the Church, volume 7, page 30. Everyone who is added to the ranks by conversion is to be assigned his post of duty. I don't think anything is more clear than that. (laughs) Everyone should be willing to be or to do anything in this warfare. How is it with you? Are you willing to be or do anything in this warfare? If you're on the Lord's side, are you willing to fight the good fight of faith? Let me ask you this question. Do you take someone, and we're talking about education and training, right? Do you take someone who's just coming to a knowledge of the truth, who has accepted Jesus, thus becoming a child of God, which means he's enlisted into his army, do you take that person, immediately send that babe in Christ out to do the work 
of an experienced soldier? That would be very unwise, wouldn't it? Not only could that cost that person their salvation, but it could damage the church and the work tremendously. I'm going to ask you this, and thinking of, of the military today, do you take a soldier and you place them on the battlefield before they have gone through boot camp? No, you don't, beloved. Jesus didn't do this, and neither are we. These precious enlistments, they need to be grounded in faith first. They have to be doctrinally sound. They have to be educated and trained for service. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, page 221. It is by education and practice that persons are to be qualified to meet any emergency which may arise. And wise planning is needed to place each one in his proper sphere that he may obtain an experience that will fit him to bear responsibility. You know, we used to call that common sense. (laughs) Right? Right? Some of these principles are just common sense, or they should be. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Please, don't misunderstand. As soon as we're born again, we're a witness for the Lord, as the Holy Spirit encouraged us to share our newfound faith. As Paul said in Corinthians, to the Corinthian church, he said, For the love of Christ constraineth us. (laughs) But we don't put a babe in charge of the local church, do we? Proverbs 22.6 says that we're to train up a child. A baby has to learn to walk before it can run. There must be education and practice first, a, a training and experience gained first. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 9, page 116. The strength of an army is measured largely by the efficiency of the men in the ranks. A wise general... Notice this, a wise general, not an unwise one, a wise general instructs his officers to train every soldier for active service. He seeks to develop the highest efficiency on the part of all. If he were to depend on his officers alone, he could never expect to conduct a successful campaign. You don't... (laughs) Friends, how does this relate to the church? You don't depend on the ministers alone to carry the burden and carry the work. This general, she goes on, says, He counts on loyal and untiring service from every man in his army. The responsibility, get this, I want you to understand this, the responsibility, she says, rests largely upon the men in the ranks. Yes, you got to have good leader. you got to have a wise general, etc. But the work, as in any war, you'll go back and see, the work was dependent upon the soldiers in the field. Was it not? And I'll tell you that this is a principle that is mightily lacking in the church today. And there are many reasons for it. But apostasy and a lack of true gospel order are, are the big ones. I mean, we see local congregations are not in gospel order according to what we've studied. And they're scattered everywhere around the globe as independent atoms making cohesion virtually impossible. And that just aids apostasy even more. It allows every wind of doctrine to blow and disorder is the the bottom line result. And I'll tell you this, my observation, the churches we've come out of have taught disorder for so long that we've brought it with us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 
verses 17 and 18. Paul's quoting various scriptures, really. But notice what he says. He says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. So what happens when you do that? He says, And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And I'll tell you something, you know, this, this scripture is quoted quite often throughout the Advent movement. A lot even among the, the historics in the Advent movement. And I hear the first part of verse 17 shouted from the rooftops, you know. I hear it all the time. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. As if all we have to do is come out from the fallen church we're in and thus we're going to be saved. But let me ask you a question. What happens if you bring your sin and error with you when you come out? And this is what is happening, like I said, in the Advent movement. The latter part of verse 17 actually is ignored to a great degree among us as a people. And it said, touch not the unclean thing. And then God will receive you. See? But part of that step of of education from the Lord is used in unschooling you from the things that that you've learned before. Isn't that true? I mean, several years ago, my wife and I decided to remove our our children from the church school, and we began to homeschool them. And we spent the first year, literally, we spent the first year unschooling our family. And I'm not just talking about the kids. I'm talking about us as well. We literally spent the first year unschooling our family from the things that we, we, the traditions and things that we had learned and we thought were the right way to go. But you know what we discovered, friends? And I hope you've discovered this. God has a system of education and the world has a system of education, and they are not the same. The world's system of education has taken the place of God's system in most every church and church school around the globe. And I'll tell you, accreditation, that's a big thing. Accreditation has destroyed most all the Christian educational institutions on the earth, in my opinion. And the problem, as I see it, is that we've come out of the fallen churches, but we've brought several of the unclean things with us. We've brought the world's system of order instead of gospel order. We've brought the world's system of education instead of learning from Jesus, learning from the Bible. And we've brought the world's system of evangelism, that's a big one too, with us. And so, what needs to happen? We, we need to be unschooled of these systems and be educated in the school of Christ, friends. That's, where, that's who needs to be our teacher. And that is our instructor and our teacher if we list, enlist in the Lord's army. Notice this statement. From Christian Education, page 122. The training and education of a lifetime must often be discarded that the Christian may become a learner in the school of Christ. In the school of Christ. That's that's the school we enter when we enlist in the Lord's army. We enter the school of Christ. Let me give you an example. Jesus said in Matthew 23 and verse 15, He said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You know, when you read Matthew 23, you, you, get, you can't help but get the, <laughs> the point that God very much dislikes hypocrites, especially religious hypocrites. He says, Woe unto them! 
He says, notice this in verse 15, he goes on, he says, For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Man, those are strong words, aren't they? Now let me ask you a question, though. Let me ask you a question. How did they make the person a twofold child of hell? Well, the simple answer is that the Jews trained the proselyte by a standard not of God. You see? They didn't enroll him into the school of Christ. So I say, let's not be like they were, but let us do as God would have us do. We must be enrolled in the school of Christ to do this. Amen? So when you enlist in the army of the Lord, you are immediately enrolled into the school of Christ. And as we learned before, His school is not of this world, for His kingdom is not of this world. Our scripture reading for today was Matthew eleven twenty nine. And this goes right along with what I'm presenting to you. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Nowhere in the Bible do you say, you find where it says, learn of the world and do after the world. Everything points to Jesus. So when you enlist, you, you, you are enrolled in the school of Christ and Jesus is saying, learn of me. And what are the things that we learn? He says, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. So, someone may ask, well, what's learned in this school of Christ? What do you learn in this school? Well, let me share just a few quotes with you. First one from Christian Education, page 200. And, and again, as we saw in our examples, when you begin to be educated, not only are you getting the book learning quotes, you know, uh, but you're also getting the hands-on practical. So you're getting the, the lectures and you're getting the lab work. Right? So Christian Education, page 200. The follower of Jesus should be constantly improving in manners, in habits, in spirit, and labor. But this is done by keeping the eye not on mere outward superficial attainments, but on Jesus the model. A transformation takes place in mind, in spirit, in character. The Christian is educated in the school of Christ to cherish the graces of his spirit in all meekness and lowliness of mind. Where did we hear that before? Jesus said, remember, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. And this is what we learn. We learn to cherish the graces of His Spirit in all meekness and holiness of mind. He is fitting for the society of heavenly angels. We're being trained not just to fight in this battle as a member of the Lord's army, but we're also being trained to be a good citizen in heaven. The society of heavenly angels. What is learned in the school of Christ? Improved habits, manners, labor, character, transformation of our mind will take place. Character. We learn to cherish the graces of His Spirit. Here's another one. Acts of the Apostles, page 524. Trial is part of the education given in the school of Christ. To purify... God's children from the dross of earthliness. He who reads the hearts of men knows their weaknesses better than they themselves can know them. He sees that some have qualifications which, if rightly directed, could be used in the advancement of his work. In his providence, he brings these souls into different positions and varied circumstances that they may discover the defects that are concealed from their own knowledge. He gives them opportunity to overcome these defects and to fit themselves for service. You see, this is what we learn in the school of Christ. We learn about ourselves and our defects and how to overcome them. 
And she says, often he permits the fires of affliction to burn that they may be purified. So in the school of Christ, we learn about our own defects because he reads the heart. And, and he knows how to, to train us in such a way that our best attributes are used in the advancement of his work. And in the meantime, he's purifying us through trials. That's a part of the education. I remember that um, in our previous studies, we, we, we learned about the church that, that a Christian family is a church. You remember that? And we compared the roles of the family members and, and how church is organized, etc. So let's learn the principles. I'm going to read a statement for you, for you from Child Guidance, page 94. So understanding that a Christian uh, family is a church, let's learn the principles that are stated here in this quote. If parents would take up their God-given work and would teach self-restraint, self-denial, and self-control to their children, both by precept and example, remember, from the lectures in the lab work, right, precept and example, they would find that while they were seeking to do their duty, so as to meet the approval of God, they would be learning precious lessons in the school of Christ. What would they be learning? They'd be learning self-restraint, self-denial, self-control. This is what we learn in the school of Christ. Notice what else she says. They would be learning patience, forbearance, love, and meekness. Haven't we heard that before? What is it that Jesus said? He said, learn of me, for I am what? Meek and lowly. Right? This is what we're going to learn. And then she says, and these are the very lessons that they must teach to their children. And we got to understand them before our children can. We've got to be that way before our children will be that way. You see, because Jesus, Jesus wants us to be like Him in character. So in His school, He teaches the complete physical, mental, and spiritual restoration of man. The whole man, as Peter says. And we, you know, we get these gifts and we learn these things and the, these precious promises. We become a part of the divine nature. To the whole man, see, is made perfect. And what that means is that, that we are like Jesus in character. From Lift Him Up, page 235. Speaking of Jesus, she said, He came as a divine teacher to uplift human beings, to increase their physical, mental, and spiritual efficiency. That's all part about being organized. <laughs> See, we, we discussed about as individuals, it begins with us, doesn't it? Being organized. And as we learn from Jesus, and we learn from being in His school, we've enlisted in His army, so we are enrolled in His school, and we learn... Um, to be more efficient physically, mentally, and spiritually. Because the more efficient in God's work makes you more productive in God's work. There's no, not as much waste, right? Isn't that what efficiency is about? I'll give you just a real quick example. I had to replace my mother's furnace. When my, my mother's furnace was 35 years old. But at the time, 35 years ago, it was... A high-efficiency furnace. Essentially, you just had a damper on the flue. <laughs> but it made it more efficient than the regular furnaces. It was probably, at that time, maybe 75% efficient, which means that the fuel being burned, 75% of it was being burned, but 25% of it would be lost as waste. Well, the new furnace, and I'm still I stagger at this. It's amazing to me. The new furnace that we purchased is 96.6% efficient. Okay? That means 96.6% of the fuel is being burned to heat the home and only, what, 3.4% is wasted and goes out the flue. God wants us to increase our efficiency as an, arm, uh, an army soldier for Him. Here's another 
quote from Education, the book Education, page 13. True education means more than the perusal, or pursual, excuse me, pursual, oh gosh, pursual of a certain course of study. It means more than a preparation for the life that now is. I'm still getting used to my bifocals, friends. <laughs> so sometimes I, it's kind of blurry when I see the word. She says it has to do with the whole being and with the whole period of existence possible to man. It is the harmonious development. This is what true education she's talking about in the school of Christ we're talking about, right? She says it is the harmonious development of the physical, the mental, and the spiritual powers. It prepares the student for the joy of service in this world and for the higher joy of wider service in the world to come. So it's in the school of Christ, he's, he's taking and he's training the whole being, our entire being, so that there is harmony between our physical, mental, and spiritual powers. That's the goal. Here's one more, God's Amazing Grace, page 208. All who consecrate body, soul, and spirit to His service, in, in essence, what I call enlisting in His army, which enrolls you into His school. So when you consecrate your body, soul, and spirit to His service, that's what you've done, you've enlisted, will be constantly receiving a new endowment of physical, mental, and spiritual Power. Now, why will we receive a new endowment of this power? Because, number one, we're being trained to be more efficient in every aspect, right? And God will give us power to do just that. God doesn't give us promises without the power to fulfill those promises within the promise itself, you see? That's why when Jesus says, you know, pray and believe, and when you believe, it'll be answered. Because it's inherent in the promises. You claim the promise, there that power is inherent in it, that, that promise. Right? She says, the inexhaustible supplies of heaven are at their command. Christ gives them the breath of His own spirit, the life of His own life. The Holy Spirit puts forth its highest energies to work in mind and heart. Through the grace given us, we may achieve victories. Notice that. Through the grace that's given to us, we may achieve victories that because of our own erroneous and preconceived opinions, our defects of character, our smallness of faith, have seemed impossible. This is what we learn in the school of Christ. So, you see, the school of Christ teaches the student to be like Jesus. And then places them in a position in this conflict, in the, his army, to advance his work. Everyone who's a Christian has a job to do, friends. Each one of us are, are to be trained for service. And a part of that, and I hope you noticed this, a part of what you learn in the School of Christ has to do with health reform. It's a major course, actually, in the School of Christ. For it affects the other avenues to the soul. Notice this quote. The youth's, in, the youth's instructor, August 25, 1886. The better you observe the laws of health, the more clearly you can discern temptations and resist them, and the more clearly you can discern the value of eternal things. That's a remarkable statement. So the better we observe the laws of health, and those laws come from God's Word, the more clearly we're going to discern eternal things, along with other things. We can resist temptation better, etc. But in the school of Christ here, Jesus teaches that every Christian has a responsibility in his army. I mean, you enrolled, you enlisted, you're enrolled in school, you're, you have a responsibility in the army. Paul said in Titus 1 verse 9 that an elder must hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. This is an important part of it. 
His members must have a daily training in Christ school in order to withstand the gainsayers. Who are the gainsayers? Well, those are the people who speak against the truth. <laughs> See? And all of us are going to learn, and we must learn, and we're going to learn, as long as we are enrolled in that school, to stand for truth. All of us. Everybody takes the name of Jesus. Not just the ministers. In 1 Peter 3, verse 15, Peter says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So as we continue in the school of Christ, we're going to learn how to do these things. We're going to learn to give an answer. If you're not comfortable giving an answer, that's because you don't know it yet, or you're not convinced of it. So there's some education that's involved there. I mean, you have to have confidence to give an answer when asked about your faith, don't you? This takes education and it takes practice. And it's all part of training we receive in the school of Christ. It's also in the, in the church where Christ dwells, where to learn these things. Because the church was organized for service. It's, to be a, it's not only to be a place of worship, friends, but also a place of education as well as fellowship and those other things, see. I think too many people see church just as a place to meet and worship. But it, it's a school of Christ as well where training takes place or should take place. You know, I talked about unschooling, and this is a process that you go through in the school of Christ, but did you know that God spent time unschooling Moses as an example? Moses had to unlearn many things that he'd picked up while growing up in Egypt. I mean, what? <laughs> think about it, friends. What do you think was going on those 40 years he was away from Egypt? He wasn't just pastoring goats and sheep. God trained Moses in his school before sending him to lead his people out of Egypt. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 248. Moses had been learning much that he must unlearn. The influences that had surrounded him in Egypt, the love of his foster mother, his own high position as the king's grandson, the dissipation on every hand, the refinement, the subtlety, and the mysticism of a false religion, the splendor of idolatrous worship. Sounds kind of like where we've come out of the world, doesn't it? The grandeur, the solemn grandeur of architecture and sculpture all had left deep impressions upon his developing mind and had molded, to some extent, his habits and character. Time, notice this, time, change of surroundings, and communion with God could remove these impressions. It would require on the part of Moses himself a struggle as for life to renounce error and accept truth. But God would be his helper when the conflict should be too severe for human strength. You think God wants to help you, friend? God wants to do the same for each of us. We too have had deep impressions mold our habits and our character. And just as with Moses, time, change of surroundings, and communion with God will remove these impressions, and that's what is learned in the school of Christ, you see. Moses learned that God is his teacher and sustainer. We depend. We learn to depend entirely upon God. In Exodus 4 and verse 12 we read, Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. This is what God said to Moses. He unschooled him and then schooled him and then say, Look, I'm going to tell you what to say. I'll teach you. So God trained Moses what to do and say as his representative. And God does the same for every person who enroll, enrolls in his school. And what we learn in this school, we are to share with others. And we read where Moses delivers God's people and they come to Mount Sinai and then God calls Moses up to the mount to meet with him. You remember? And then something very interesting. In Exodus 24 
And verse 12 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone and a law and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. You see? So I want you to notice that God trained Moses first, and then Moses was to teach others. That's important. How can you teach others if you don't know it yourself? (laughs) See? I mean, we understand that parents are given the responsibility to train their children after the ways of Christ. And they can only do this if they've been trained themselves. And one of the keys is, we must first ourselves be teachable. And those who enlist, those who have been born of God, will have a teachable spirit and want to be trained by Him. And I believe they'll say as David did in Psalms 25. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me. For thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Beloved, we are very soon to face the enemy of souls in the final conflict. And if we wish to be a victorious member of the Lord's army, we must be willing to be trained by the Master. We must enroll, be enrolled in His school and then go through you know, boot camp. I'll talk about that a little bit later in a later study, which I reckon to being grounded in the faith. And we must be trained for our specific role, our service in the army of God. The Apostle Paul sums up our training in the the school of Christ when he says in Ephesians 6 about the armor of God, putting on the whole armor of God. I'm going to talk about that in, in a few weeks as well. But when we do this, beloved, we shall be spiritually prepared for battle. But there is also a continuing education program that fits us for our place in the army, a place where we will do the works of Jesus. And we will do great works leading up to the second coming, friends. But we've got to be trustworthy. We've got to learn the lessons God has for us. And Jesus said in John fourteen twelve, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. There's going to be a time we're going to have to put all our education, all our training on the line in this battle. My questions for you, friends, to consider, is it your desire to be a member of the Lord's army? Do you want to do a great work for God? If you do, friends, you must look up to Jesus and be educated in His school. And this takes dedication, it takes perseverance. It takes honesty. It takes meekness. It takes personal commitment and consecration. It's not something that you just make a decision on a whim. Remember, God says, come let us reason together. Most of all, it requires the giving of yourself completely to Jesus. Are you willing to do that? I'll close with this. This is from Councils on Health, page 355. My brethren, the Lord calls upon you to examine the heart closely. He calls upon you to adorn the truth in your daily practice and in all your dealings with one another. He requires of you a faith that works by love and purifies the soul. It is dangerous for you to trifle with the sacred demands of conscience, dangerous for you to set an example that leads others in a wrong direction. Christians should carry with them, wherever they go, the sweet fragrance of Christ's righteousness, showing that they are complying with the invitation, Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Are you learning daily in the school of Christ? Learning how to dismiss doubt and evil surmisings? Learning how to be fair and noble in your dealings with your brethren, for your own sake and for Christ's sake? Beloved, may we be learning in the school of Christ every day and put what we learn into practice. Amen? Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you so very, very much for the invitation to come. For the invitation to enlist in your army, to enroll in your school. And I pray for those who are hearing me now, Father, that you'll be very near to them, that the Holy Spirit will be near as they reason, they weigh their decision, and that they make the right one. For there is life in the right decision, and there is death in the wrong decision, eternal death. So I humbly pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit will move upon people who are in the valley of decision. And that when they enlist, it's a full enlistment, complete consecration to your service. I thank you, Father, for your holy word and for Jesus, my Lord and my Savior, the true commander in this warfare. May we hasten, hasten the battlefield that this war may be over and we may be victorious. I pray this in the name of Jesus who is so worthy. Amen.